Hey guys, welcome back. Chris Bircher, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 105, and I want to talk a little bit about the methodology of the acid test and something I just realized while I was driving in the car taking the trash to the dump. Uh, I don't have any notes. I have a sketch of an idea, and I hope this comes out okay. But it gets at several episodes that I've already recorded. Things like what is science and what is reason and how do we think and and thought experiments and sort of uh, improvisation in the Grateful Dead. If you look back at some of these episodes, uh, they they form sort of the background for what I'm getting ready to lay out, which I think formulates this idea a little bit better and is relevant because it's how I'm approaching uh, the acid test. From a different way, I mean, you know, you if I give, you could call this like new science or a different way of thinking, or and I, and I hesitate to use terms like new and novel, but to me, it feels very different from what we traditionally do when we go about investigations. Things I mentioned in the last couple episodes, some of these fields of study that have tried to answer things like who am I, why am I here, what is life's purpose, where do we come from, what does it all mean. Disciplines like religion, philosophy, psychology, the different sciences, uh, the different subdivisions and all of these things, you know, they are, they are either science or science-like in their approach. And if they're not, ever since sort of the scientific revolution a few hundred years ago, they're garbage, right? I mean, the, the Stoics had their reason and, and the, the, the early philosophers had their epistemologies and their sort of ways of thinking. And all of these, if you, the way I understand it, kind of congealed in the scientific method. And then that became the correct way of going about asking questions. But I'm going to sort of propose this new thing or a different way of thinking. And as, it, as I talk about it, it'll become more clear that I don't think this is the same old stuff. I don't think it can be lumped into a single category. It's kind of like the scientific method. It's kind of like reason. It's kind of like thought experiments. It's kind of like you know intuition. And they're all sort of rolled into one. And I, and I like to think that there's a, there's a standardization to it, and then there's not. Um, if I had to, if I had, okay, so the best concept I can think of that relates to this is the concept of flow. And I'm not going to get the author's name right, but you all know the book. It's called Flow. And you talk about getting into a state of flow where um, you, you, you are unaware of time passing and you're sort of able to focus in a magical way. And it's the place the writers want to get and, and musicians want to get when they're being creative. And you, and you sort of shut out the outside world and you turn on some part of you that is able to ignore the noise and, and focus in on the subject matter that you're trying to understand. That's an element of what I'm talking about. And it's probably closer to anything else uh, that I can think of except for improvisational music. I saw a, um, a YouTube meme that was mostly, uh, something like a jazz guitarist compared to a classical guitarist, and the jazz guitarist plays, and it's like, and then the, the um, then it's he improvises, and then it's time for the classical version of that improvisation to happen, and the guy just doesn't play. And the idea is that a classical musician reads notes off the page. That's how they play, and that it's a entirely uh, its own world of technique and skill and, and, and practice and, and, and maybe even flow versus jazz, which is kind of the opposite of that, where you're sort of making up the music as you go along. And this gets us a little bit closer to what I want to talk about, 
And, and, and I'll tell you a little story first, and I hope it makes sense. Um, there's this idea in music, and, and you've, anybody who's over probably 20 or 30 uh, is familiar with at least one of these cases where popular music, some artist comes forth and says, this other artist has stolen my music and has plagiarized me. So it's the idea of plagiarism, right? And, you know, maybe it's... Um, I can't think of a baseline or something, but like, uh, um, you know, they say that MC Hammer stole You Can't Touch This from some soul group of the 670s, and it sounds exactly the same. And then, so one of two things can happen. One, yeah, the artist actually did listen to the song and go, oh, I'm going to use this and lift it literally right off the tape or digitize it or whatever, and then put it in and record their own song over it, you know, sort of like blatant plagiarism. And maybe like in science, if you cite and say, oh, I borrowed this from these people and I'm doing this, maybe it's okay, maybe it's not. Maybe you're stealing and and improperly using for your own gains their um, intellectual property. All right. That's one case. The other case is what I want to get at. One of my favorite musicians, Chris Thiele, he's plays mandolin. He's a, he's a, um, award winning, you know, he won a genius grant, a MacArthur grant, um, amazing musician. And he has gone on record as sort of saying, look, if it sounds like I'm copying people in my playing style, he's a very improvisational player is an amalgam of all the things that I've listened to. And this made perfect sense to me. Where musicians may, you know, especially imagine a jazz musician like Chris Thiele. Uh, The whole idea is to improvise a melody within some chord structure that has a a fairly familiar, what they call a head, you know, like all of me. So that's like the head. And the idea is that the jazz musician is going to interpret that the way that they feel. And here's a key point. In that moment, in that moment on stage, ideally, or in the studio, they're going to play something that they have not preconceived. It's going to come out of them in a state of flow in the moment, in the construction, you know, under the construct of the chord structure of the song and the original melody, ideally. Now, some, some jazz gets so far out there, you, you don't even remember what the chord changes of the melody are. Some of it stays a little bit truer, and you can sort of follow it, and you could recognize it as the, and go, oh, yeah, I recognize the underlying melody within this person's playing. But the idea is that if that if that person were to play something that was copying, they were probably unaware of it because they're in a state of flow. And so something about this state of flow, you know, removes those, what I would consider to be constrictive or restrictive rules about citing. You know, you when you ha- when you read when you write a scientific paper, uh, pretty much in, you have to do it in such a way that any idea, any sentence that you write, you have to sort of say, is this my original idea or did I get this from somewhere else? And so if, if there's a chance that you got it from somewhere else, then you better put another you better give the credit to the author who gave you the idea or whose paper you got the idea from in parentheses, citing their work. Now, this is weird because as a budding scientist, and I'm pretty sure all of us do this who are learning science, you kind of go, well, I don't want to get in trouble. And so it's from a very defensive position. And I've written this sentence that says, um, um, you know, some fish reach maturity later than others. Is this an original idea? Is this something that I made up? 
Is, or is this something that needs to have evidence behind it for the reader to go, eh, I'm pretty sure you made that up. Well, now I got to go find a paper. And so you write everything out and you kind of go, this needs to citation, this needs a citation, this needs a citation. It's part of the process. You don't do it like a jazz musician. Or maybe you write the paper like a jazz musician. You're improvising your ideas and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go back and sort of do it. But we don't do that in jazz. You don't get, you know, a record... And, you know, you see like, okay, solo two on track number three, when John Coltrane plays this, he he went back and then went, oh, yeah, right here with this little trill of notes, you know, this little flat five, whatever. I got that from Miles Davis, and I got to write that. You don't do that. But in science, we have to do it because, you know, we want peer review. We want that structure. It's part of the rule system. And this sort of rule system, I think... Part of my point in all of this is it becomes restrictive. Now, I don't think we should plagiarize. I don't think we should intentionally steal other people's ideas and try to present them as our own. And I am not trying to do that. Though many people will sort of say, oh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's what Ken Wilber said. I hear what you're saying. That's what the Stoics said. Oh, I hear what you're saying. That was in an article last week. You know, fine. I'm not trying to make any claims that all of my thinking is original. (laughs) What I'm trying to do is use a jazz improvisational approach to thinking to see if something creative comes out in that moment, right? We're inspired, uh, like jazz musician is inspired by what they've listened to. You know, a good jazz musician basically has a massive listening uh, intelligence, an emotional listening catalog and history. They've listened to all kinds of music. They've been and they've thought about it and they've been inspired by it and somehow they file that back in some weird system in our brains that we can access differently. One, we can access it in this kind of scientific cite your thoughts, give everybody credit sort of approach, which obviously reduces your energy you can use for new creative thinking because part of your energy is placed on tracking all this stuff and trying to you know have a file system and all that that just sounds so cumbersome <laughs> but that's definitely a way to do it and certainly you know even in things like philosophy if you read philosophy and this drives I hate reading philosophy because it's done in such a you know like a roman construct that it's annoying it's like you've got to you got to state all these oh, I'm aware of this, and I know this person's work, and I know this, and I read this, and here's where they're wrong, and it's all done in this like very historic, citation-based, cover-your-butt sort of way, and I can't stand it. It's like, just tell me the thought. Help me. Give me the cliff notes. I don't need this. You know, it's like, it's like the difference in being accurate and being inspired. And what I want to do here is sort of propose an inspirational, uh, passionate, improvisational, flow state, reasoning and thinking method uh, to help as a, as a new approach, a different approach. And again, this may exist. It may be called something else. I'm just unaware of it. And I, maybe I learned it from somewhere else. And I'm just forgotten. I'm not intentionally copying anybody. That might lead to novel concepts and ideas and, and, and sort of brain states. And, and it really has, and I look back at my podcast and this is what I've been doing. 
You know, I've just sort of been brain dumping. Maybe that's what this is, you know. Uh, these ideas and, and 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 to varying degrees, and this is in my Grateful Dead episode, you know, um, writ large. Uh, uh, I sort of achieve. Sometimes I achieve these flow states more than others, and that's when the new ideas come out, and that's when the inspiration comes out. And I'll plug that back in that file system, and then when I'm driving to the dump one day and having a random thought, I'll match it up with that with that uh, file, that in- inspiration, an inspired thought that I have back there, and boom, something new comes out. And I, this is the discourse I'm after, right? This is what's missing post scientific revolution. Is this pseudo you know what like if you read my like tagline in my website and my podcast the pseudo neo indigenous way of thinking that we've probably did in the past for lack of not having a scientific method and better record keeping and and the and the risk here or the only rules here are that you have to be honest with yourself and others about your intentions and the intention here is to reach a flow state and to allow all of the thoughts of those giants that you've I've read and listened to to sort of rise to the surface and present themselves, and then it's and it's sort of up to me to tie those things together in different ways and, and present those to the world, just like a dad's musician would do, right? They got this sort of rule that I'm just going to loosen up, I'm going to let go. Well, first of all, I'm going to put in the work. Right? I'm going to learn, I'm going to read, I'm going to study, and I'm going to file things away in, in sort of a more scientific approach uh, to doing things. Then I'm going to get into a state which requires some effort and some skill uh, where I can access these things in a different way, outside the, the structure, right? without the rules. Uh, and some of it's going to be appealing, some of it's going to be creative, some of it's going to be meaningful, and some of it's not. I think this is what the world needs. Instead of, you know, looking back on the same old phrasings, like if we were forced to derive all music from a handful of number one hits from the 70s and 80s, we would be very limited <laughs> in our capacity to put notes together to make new music, right? It would just be like stringing together these bits and pieces of other things, trying to make new things. What I'm proposing is say, here's all the notes. In fact, there's notes between the notes. Don't even listen to the standard sort of European whatever, eight note octave. Put as many notes in there as you want um, and, and make it up. And then we'll see what fits and what doesn't fit. And some people are going to like this. Or Anyway, hopefully that metaphor uh, is clear because it makes perfect sense to me um, that... Oh, so, so how this is different, I guess, from someone's opinion, right? This is, this is the default where everybody says you have to use reason. You have to follow the scientific method, you know, because otherwise it's just your opinion. And in my very first episode, uh, facts, truth. Um, I talk about this, you know, an opinion is just pulling stuff out of your butt, right? It's just saying, I think what I'm talking about is saying, I think comma based on rigorous study and the pursuit of flow state or something like that blank. Not just I think, and then there it is, because I, whatever, whatever, you know, it's I think, 
<clears throat> augmented or, or constrained by this idea that you've put in some work, and it, not only to understand things or to, to sort of experience the world of reason, to study music and, and get it, uh, but then to apply that in a very specific, intentional, yet unrestricted, free-form way. And there's, that's the big difference, the restriction. All of these methodologies, the, the way that philosophy reads to me, the idea that religion has so many you know, terrible uh, associations with it, uh, the idea that science is so strict and so many of these things require like this barrier to entry and, and aren't available to lay people, all of those things make, make it less than perfect. And really, at the end of the day, it's all of it. You know, so what 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 considers all of it? I mean, to me, jazz, in the, as a as a as a representative of all music, and many people will say this about jazz, is it takes all of the the magic and all of the understanding and all of the learning and all of the instrumentation and all of the notation you know, notation of music, and then plays with it. And I've said this before on here: the best, you know, when you're applying to be a professor in college. You have to write something called a teaching philosophy, which basically tells the part of your job application that says, this is how I teach and this is what I believe about teaching. And that's one of the ways that they assess whether or not you uh, get the job or might be a good fit. And I always struggle with these. And, and somebody brought to my attention one time an example, and I might have read it on the internet, of a ec- excellent teaching statement. And the whole premise of the teaching statement was the, the, the highest realization of learning is when a student or anyone plays with knowledge. That's the highest. And I just thought, this is beautiful. This is perfection. And it, what the teacher was saying was, this is how I recognize my efficacy in my job. If I can you know, create an environment for a student to amass knowledge, learn, increase intelligence, whatever that all that is, I'm not going there, and then... Create a playground for that knowledge. Teaching has reached its peak. And if I think about Einstein's thought experiments, you know, um, Stephen Hawking, um, any of these great minds, I don't see them as being particularly a type A, you know, um, scientific research rigor people. I see them as being creative, jazzy types, right? And a lot of them, it turns out, do play music and appreciate what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I see a lot of these ideas as coming, you know, as a result of playing with their knowledge, right? What ifs? And you know, you just can't do that in science. Or, or the way you do it in science is you take one little play toy at a time, but what you have to, or one little playful idea at a time, and you have to sort of carve that playful idea into something less playful and turn that into um, the hypothesis, right? You might have a question that says, you know, what if aliens really did see DNA on Earth years ago? And then you kind of go, this isn't going to get published. How am I going to get funding for that? What, what are my colleagues going to think of me? You know, and so that, that question comes down to something much more banal, boring, you know, and, and, and less playful. And so what I want to do here with the whole, why are we here? What does this mean? Is, you know, capitalize on my... My body of knowledge, right? I've I've read a lot about this stuff. I, 
you know, I understand ecology and the and systems thinking, and then a weird way, you know, not unintentionally learned all that, not even realizing that's what I was learning, which I think is just a wonderful environment to learn, unrestricted by the rules and constraints of all these disciplines or any one particular discipline. Maybe I'm allow, you know, I've allowed myself to understand the restrictions, but then, you know, this is what we mean by think outside the box. So I have knowledge of psychology and therapy and counseling and, and different modalities of, of the mind, a little bit of neuroscience, certainly a, a great uh, physiological biology background, but moreover, a systems ecology and evolution framework, which gives me a spatio-temporal um, uh, spectrum that not a lot of people have. Uh, and plus, I don't have a job or a, a, a constraint holding me back you know, I, all I have is what I consider to be a, uh, an honest and an authentic curiosity about these things um, and the belief that creating a situational opportunity for passion, like a bunch of great jazz musicians playing together and sort of hoping to co-inspire each other into playing something new and and meaningful. You know, I want that. That flow, if you that's the only word I have for it, um, regardless of what you're applying it to, um, is beautiful. And I think that's that, you know, that's a great place. It's a very fruitful uh realm um, for answering questions. And that and that's the approach I'm taking. And I hope that that 20 minutes of a scatterbrained explanation about what I'm doing makes sense because, you know, I invite all the criticisms, but I'm also not interested in, in, in it. You know, I'm, it's cool to know who, whom I may have been inspired by. And I would love for people to point those things out. Oh, what you're saying here, da-da-da-da, this did this, and, and here's your background. Here's the foundation upon which. Here's the giants whose shoulders you're standing on. That's awesome. But I, I I don't want to do that personally because of the trade-offs. You know, the rigor that I'm talking about with all these disciplines and the rules are constraints uh, to a certain degree. And yes, in many ways, something like the scientific method is the pathway toward credibility, believability, accuracy. You know, so and, and the potential for what I'm doing is that it's just a whole bunch of smoke and mirrors and just one person's opinion. That's the that's the risk. But hopefully, the constraints I place upon myself, which are you know accurate reading and ingesting of materials, and then sort of the creation of this flow state that will will not will prevent me from just making stuff up. And then, of course, peer review. And, that, and that's what I'm asking for. The other part of this, this discourse is, yeah, whatever you've got to help peer review this. Uh, and what I would also really like to do more than anything is find other people that, that think the same way and not, not just want to poke holes in this and tell me what's wrong with this approach, but maybe are far ahead of me on this path of, yeah, I've been doing this for years, and here, let me help you. That would be awesome. So as we pursue the acid tests... You know, this episode 105 is going to be an important one for reference, and I'll come up with some sort of catchy name that hopefully encompasses what I've been talking about. Thank you for listening. I'm Chris Bercher. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 105. 
all about novel indigenous, neo-indigenous thinking. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next time. Take it easy.